Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. Joining me on this episode, I have with me my man, Rob Douster of the Field of 68 Podcasting Network. Rob is long time in reporting in the college game. He's going to be at the Kentucky-Tennessee Showdown on Saturday in Rupp Arena and he's going to join me to chop it up on who's got the upper hand in this matchup and what it may mean for the SEC race and possibly even NCAA tournament standings. But before we jump into that, let's take a little detour for CL Sounds Off. I'd like to highlight two games from last weekend that makes this week's sound off topic. Conspiracy versus accountability. Conspiracy versus accountability. So Boomer Esiason with CBS talked about a drunk Baltimore Ravens fan after the Ravens lost to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC championship game. And this fan was railing that the NFL was rigged and... And this guy nearly started a confrontation with the crew that included uh, Nate Burleson and and Bill Cower. Now, I I hear a lot of conspiracies when teams lose, never when they win, (laughs) only when they lose, especially on a professional level. And though I don't have evidence, you know, in front of me to 100 percent dispute that there's not rigged uh, because, I mean, I, I fully believe with the uh, way gambling is prevalent now, some players here and there, maybe even coaches have been touched and games have been tainted. But in terms of rigged winner or loser, the outcome is predetermined. The script is written as the joke is goes. I haven't seen any evidence of that. (laughs) Neither have you. (laughs) Um, And what I hate about all the conspiracy talk in sports though, is most of the time, as the case with this drunk Ravens fans, there's there's no accountability. It absolves the mistakes of your favorite team that lost, generally, because the deck was stacked against them. They, quote unquote, they didn't want us to win, is, is what a phrase I often hear. Look, the Ravens came unraveled on their own Sunday the discipline that's come to define the team disappeared when the stages and the stakes were at their highest. Did the conspiracy force them to get a taunting penalty after a long catch? Did conspiracy trot out 12 men on the field and commit an unnecessary roughness penalty on the Chiefs' final drive? 
when they needed that one stop to get the ball back to Lamar Jackson. Did Conspiracy turn the ball over three times, including a fumble into the end zone and an interception thrown in the end zone? Nah. <laughs> Let's move to the second example from this weekend. This one is in college basketball. So Clemson is leading Duke with seven seconds left when guard Josh Beadle was called for a foul, defending Duke guard Tyrese Proctor on his drive and shot with 0 .4, 0.4 seconds left in the game. Now, I've seen the replays of it. It was a bad call. I was, actually, I was watching it live, and it was a bad call. All of the contact was initiated by Proctor, and he was clearly trying harder to draw a foul than he was to actually make the shot, you know, um, as evidenced by his head whip. Like, he starts dribbling. There's a little contact. He whips his head back, wants the, wants the official to draw a foul. That first one wasn't called. So as he goes into his shot, he again, as he's throwing a ball up, second head whip for dramatics as he's fallen to the floor and shot the ball. The whistle is blown. He gets the free throws, makes the free throws. Duke wins the game 72-71. Immediately after that game, social media starts erupting with how they weren't going to let Clemson win. And Duke gets all the calls in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Etc. Etc. Blah blah blah. Let's rewind that game though to two minutes and fifteen seconds left. Clemson held a 69-65 lead. Now let me read to you the target the Tigers' next four possessions from the play-by-play -play sheet. Turnover, 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 turnover. Four straight possessions. Didn't get a shot off. Turn the ball over. That is where the accountability needs to come into play. Don't turn the ball over, Clemson. Get up a shot. Clearly, one made basket on those four possessions would have been enough to win the game. But instead, they didn't get it. And it took the Blue Devils two minutes to finally actually take the lead uh, with a pair of free throws. I think it was Kyle Filipowski with 15 seconds left. So Duke is now leading 70 to 69 when Clemson has the ball and those same officials that botched that call on Proctor called what I thought was a suspect foul on Kyle Filipowski with seven seconds left that sent Clemson's PJ Hall to the free throw line. Now was that a conspiracy to make John Shire and Duke lose at home? Calling uh, uh, basically a touch foul? I mean, he, he reached in, but it wasn't he didn't gain an advantage and he didn't put PJ Hall at a disadvantage with his reach in. Hall got a shot up. Hall missed the shot, but the the quote unquote foul did not hinder him from getting that shot. But Hall made the free throws to put Clemson in the lead temporarily. But understand, there's always going to be human error in officiating. And your team is going to both benefit from it, and sometimes it's going to be on the wrong end of those calls. It all evens out. The only thing that teams can control is what they can control, like the turnovers from Clemson and the Ravens, for that matter, and like being focused, being disciplined, not getting penalties for roughness and taunting. So I say all this to say there's no conspiracy. Just take ownership that you lost the game. Now, next up, let's hear from Rob Doster and talk some college hoops. Now, joining me, a friend of the podcast, 
My man does it as well as anyone in this business, Rob Doster, with the field of 68. Rob, what's going on? What's going on, CL? How we doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, before we get into Kentucky and Tennessee, I, I've never actually asked you uh, how, you know, what was kind of behind how you started the field of 68? So I was uh, I was working for NBC. I was there for uh, about 10 years before COVID hit and, and they kind of laid everybody off um, in, uh, what was that, August of 2020? And I was just kind of looking for something to do. And, and me and Jeff had been talking about starting our own thing for a while and starting a show and, and what we originally thought would be a network of pods that uh, would would feature four players from um, like all of the high major conferences, talking to their former teammates, talking to their former coaches, telling back in the day stories, all that kind of good stuff. Um, what we found was that when we would just go live randomly after games, um, when we would uh, react to things that just happened. Um, and I remember it was me and John Fanta and Deshaun Butler. Uh, he used to play at West Virginia is now an assistant on their staff. And that's when we would get the most interaction, the most eyeballs, the most people paying attention to it, the most people talking about it. And we just kind of figured, all right, look, you know what? We got to, we got to lean all the way into this thing. Like, this is what people want. This is what they're consuming. This is what they are reacting to. So let's, let's try to give it to them. And um, that turned into in the 21, 22 season, the field of 68 after dark, which was, uh, quickly picked up by Sirius XM and simulcast on Sirius. Uh, and then eventually um, it, it came to stadium and it's just grown ever since, man. And, and sometimes it's surprising to me and shocking to me how, how quickly this thing has kind of taken off and grown. But um, I mean, here we are and, and we're at a point where, uh, you know, we're, we're going on uh, weekend long trips to Providence and Yukon and we're doing shows from the floor of arenas. And it's just, it's, it's fun and it's entertaining. I'm just going to kind of ride this thing out as, as long as it goes. No doubt. No doubt. Well, you guys do a, a great job with it. Um, and uh, I, I, I find myself hopping on too sometimes with the, uh, with the lives, the after darks, uh, <laughs> mainly, mainly when I come back from a game and I'm still I'm too charged to go to sleep, <laughs> you know, I, I like uh, jumping on. But uh, let's jump right into Kentucky. They will have Tennessee coming to Rupp Arena in one of the marquee games of the Southeastern Conference uh, slate so far this year. From from what you've seen of Kentucky so far, what do you like best about this squad? The firepower that they have offensively. They have four guards that can all be the best player on the floor on any given night. They have four guys that can go win a game all by themselves um, if they really need them to, between Rob Dillingham and Antonio Reeves and DJ Wagner and Reed Shepard. And, and the thing I like the most about it is all four of those guys kind of go about it a different way, right? Like Antonio Reeves is your shooter and your scorer and your guy that you run off ball screens, or I'm sorry, run off down screens, and then the guy that spaces the floor or just a sniper. Reed Shepard is the guy that can be the three and D defender that can be the catch and shoot guy that can also handle the ball and, and get downhill and be a creator um, off the dribble. 
And Rob Dillingham is just your your lightning microwave score where you are going to find him in some moments uh, popping off for like four or five straight threes. And there's going to be days where he shoots like one for nine from the floor. And Which the I, I love good. that about him. <laughs> like he just yeah. don't know what to expect, but he's going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's going to be a lot of bad shots, and sometimes those bad shots go in, and uh, the, you live with that because on the nights when he's on, nobody can stop him. And the nights when he's off, you have three other guards that can step up and play 25 minutes and, and make sure that there is no uh, no regression there. And then obviously DJ Wagner, I think he's actually played a lot better um, in SEC play than than I expected. You know, I, We know what he is as a scorer. We know what he is as a slasher. Um, I think that he's been shooting it a little better and, and kind of making some more um, making teams guard him a little bit more. You know, that's really all he, he didn't have to come out here and be like a 45% shooter, but be good enough. The team's got to run you off the line. And then, you know, he's getting to the basket, his, his ability to put the ball on the floor and kind of finish with that, like left-handed extended layup around people. He makes two or three of those a game where you're just like, you know what? I don't think that players are supposed to make that finish right there. So uh, that that's what I love about they, They're just, when they're on, like they, if they find one of those nights where they are hitting shots and their guys are scoring and they're getting out in transition and they're playing with confidence and probably at home, uh, I think I don't think there's anybody in the country that can beat them when they are at their absolute best because they could put up 115 on you without breaking a sweat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to discount Florida. That's tonight's game where uh, you know they had a basically played to a one possession game in their first meeting in Gainesville. But I just feel like <laughs> all the chips are on Saturday because Tennessee, the way they've been playing, top 10 team, obviously, um, and Dalton next. You mentioned Reed Shepard as a 3 and D guy. What I'm curious about on Saturday is who gets the Dalton neck assignment on defense because obviously defense is one of the things, one of the areas uh, that has been a weakness uh, you know, an Achilles heel of sorts for, for Kentucky this year. Who who would you put on on next? Uh, I would put everybody on him. <laughs> Look, <laughs> like that's going to be one of those ones where you're not – it's not going to be one person that stops him, right? Um, I do think that I would probably start with a Justin Edwards or um, an, uh, Thoreau if, if – if he ends up being healthy just because of the size, like don't connect is, is six, 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 seven, or like he's a seven. A on the wingspan. Yeah. His yeah, shoulders, he's like athletic. he's a solid dude. Yeah. Like I don't think that you can put one of the smaller guards on him. And like, I love Reed Shepard. I just don't think that you can put Reed Shepard on him because of the size and, and length that he has. So, um, that is going to, to me, like we're not exactly, uh, reinventing the wheel here cl but like the key to beating tennessee is making sure that don't connect doesn't end up going for like 30 you know i think he's got three 30 point games in in sec play already he's at like 28 points or something like that in conference play so um finding a way to slow him down and like that's what makes tennessee so dangerous right there's still that like tough physical team they can turn it into a rugby match um if they need to they can they can make things ugly if they need to uh but they have a guy that can just you can run out there and can go win a game all by himself. You know, I, I said this the other day, CL. It's kind of like the uh, I call it the do him offense that Kentucky <laughs> likes to play sometimes, where it's like an AAU thing where you just hear coaches say, "All right, give the ball to to this kid and give it away. Do him, do him, do him." That's the <laughs> offense, and 
And on the stretch like of games that are close, that's kind of what Rick Barnes does. Just gives a good ball to his best player and says, go make a play. And sometimes that's the easiest thing to do. I think it was – I can't remember which – broadcast it was but there one of the guys i want to say it was jimmy dykes um don't hold me to that though if i'm wrong with that but i think jimmy dykes was saying that he talked to rick barnes and said that we call this the kevin durant offense right oh. and that should kind of put you uh let you understand what this dude doing on the offensive end of the floor right now yeah yeah well uh, speaking of offensive end of the floor after kentucky beat arkansas on saturday you tweeted out about um antonio reeves not not probably getting his due nationally because of the kind of numbers mm-hmm. he's putting up. You you feel like he's just kind of people still just consider him a shooter and that's it. And, you know, I mean, obviously he's leading the team in scoring. All of his numbers are up from last year, his percentages. Um, and it, he seems to be, you know, I, I, I guess it's just that extra year of experience. Like he seems to be on cruise control with it. He's not forcing stuff. He's unselfish. He's, you know, he's fitting into the fabric of everything and, and showing some leadership on this team. What, why, why did you feel like he hasn't kind of uh, blown up nationally? Well, I mean, the big thing is that he's on a team where you got all of these other guys that are getting a ton of hype. Like him and Connect are a really interesting pairing and an interesting conversation to have um, because they are both putting up very, very similar numbers. Dalton did a little bit more in, has been doing a little bit more in SEC play, coming off of the ankle thing that he had. Uh, and Antonio Reeves a little bit more in non-conference play. But overall, like they're both kind of right at like 19 points a game while shooting 50, 40, and almost 90, which is something that is kind of unheard of in the college basketball realm. Um, but Dalton Connect is the guy on his team, right? And if you look at Kentucky, they got – uh, Rob Dillingham, who's going to be a first round pick if he decides to go. And they got DJ Wagner, who is Dewan Wagner's son and was going to end up being an NBA player. And they got Reed Shepard, who is a kid from the state of Kentucky who is playing for Kentucky, a first round pick in the NBA draft, right? Like they got four guys in that backcourt that all deserve some kind of shine. And the other three are the ones that have some kind of pro potential that came up with the hype. You're not going to talk about the 50 year senior that is just doing this one year and then, you know, it's heading off to. Euro League to go play in Slovakia or whatever it is. So <laughs> I think that's part of why he's not quite getting the same level of attention. But he, the numbers he's putting up and what that turned into, see, I don't know if you saw it, but it just turned into Tennessee fans and Kentucky fans arguing about who was better, Dalton Connector, Antonio Reed, and <laughs> Alabama fans jumping in and saying, like, you guys got to put some respect on Mark Sears' name. Well, look, you know what? All three of them are awesome. Can we just say that all three of them are awesome and they should all be getting the same amount of like, credit and and exposure that Dalton Connect is right now. And and the point is not that Antonio Reeves is better than Dalton Connect, but like, hey, you know what? Dalton Connect's not the only dude in this conference that's having a big season. So I don't know. It is what it is, man. But it, Antonio Reeves needs to get some respect put on his name for the year that he's having. Yeah, I'm glad I missed <laughs> the rest of that banter. <laughs> um so uh, one of the things that that I think is interesting about this game, too, is and you kind of alluded to it earlier about the way Tennessee can play a different type of game. We finally saw that from Kentucky against Arkansas, where they started off, I think it was something like one of 16 from the floor. It was, it was kind of an mm-hmm. ugly game. And really, before the South Carolina game, that game, you know, Arkansas would have just pulled away. That game would have got away from them. But they showed some toughness. 
at, at Arkansas and, and won basically an ugly game. Um, how much do you think that might be a springboard for them, especially with all of the the youth that they have just kind of learning to play? Because I feel like that that's the kind of NCAA tournament situation you're going to be in, you know, a team with a different style or whatever that doesn't let you just get up and down the floor and transition. It makes you work, you know, 28 seconds on, on defense uh, before they take a shot. And so uh, I think it was a big, a big deal that Kentucky kind of did that. What, what do you, what do you see from that kind of game? I mean, look, they won a game scoring 63 points on 70 possessions. Right. And despite the and one at the end that uh, that cost me the Kentucky minus six and a half line that I bet on. <laughs> I was thinking um, about well, who was yeah. on the losing end of that. <laughs> yes, but, but uh, beyond that, you know they they won a game that they scored sixty three points by ten, and this is a group that we have maligned all season long about their defensive toughness. Right? Are they to be able to guard in the moments you need them to be able to guard? And while Arkansas is talented, they are a mess. So it's impressive that they were able to do this in that environment, but it's also an Arkansas team that looks like they have, they're not just unraveling, they have completely unraveled at this point. So yeah. um, yes, it's a, it's a good step in the right direction after getting lit up by South Carolina and getting lit up by Georgia, especially in the second half and, and, you know, having their struggles with Texas A&M and, you know, defense is not the strong suit for this team. So when you can win a game with your defense, regardless of who it is against, especially on the road. Yes, that is a, uh, a step in the right direction because um, <laughs> where they were before was not anything they wanted to be. Yeah. So I want to bring up a name. You you mentioned J- Justin Edwards earlier, but if we would have had if I would have had you on the pod before the season started, Edwards might have had his own segment. <laughs> right. I mean, the, with the talent that he has and, and, you know, just what people expected of him coming into this year. And it hasn't quite played out there like that. Um, Cal said, you know, after that Arkansas game that he got a little nicked up in practice and was hobbled and that's why he didn't start Saturday and played a season low nine minutes but even before any kind of injury situation he hadn't been performing that well uh what do you see as kind of you know his his problem kind of getting reaching his potential and and what do you think he needs to do to get into that flow my big thing with him is that he's kind of doing exactly what we should expect freshmen to do in college basketball in in 2024 when you're talking about dealing with um 23 and 24 year olds and you're playing in league play and you're dealing with that transition right like what what reed shepherd is doing and what robert dillingham is doing and what dj wagner is doing is not the norm that's that those are outlier performances um, I, I think that what Justin Edwards is doing and, and to a certain extent what Bradshaw has been doing since he got healthy is kind of more what you should expect from freshmen when uh, people still have this fifth year available and as the one-year transfer waiver um, continues to be a, a, a thing nationally, right? Like he's 6'8", he's not a great shooter, he's kind of slender, he's got the potential to be a really good defender, but he's not quite there yet as a defender. He's not a, a space-the-floor guy. Um, he can make threes, but he's not exactly someone that you have to run off of the three-point line. He's not this great initiator and like this secondary ball handler. So he's still kind of trying to figure out like what he is and who he is, which is the reason why coaches always say the best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. So um, 
I, I still think potential is there, but in my mind, when, when you're evaluating these fresh, like get highly rated and like, look, you, you can't teach the physical tools and the physical skills that he has, but you got to put weight on him. He's not good enough to be able to, to compete defensively at the level that you need to right now. And he's not quite skilled enough. Like the thing about Reed Shepard and, and Dillingham and, and Wagner adjusting is that while they might not be physically ready, they have the skill level to be able to excel in the system that that John Calipari is running right now. And Justin Edwards doesn't quite have that, but he also doesn't quite have the physicality to be defensive, uh, a defensive presence that needs to be. So um, I think that it's still there. He just he's one of those guys where it's going to take a little bit of time for him. And honestly, look, that is what you should expect when it comes to freshmen, regardless of who they are. What we're seeing from the other three freshmen in this group is is the outlier that I'm sorry, the outlier and the reason why this Kentucky team is such a great story and such a fun story. So, you know, it kind of is what it is with him. He'll get there. He'll figure it out. It just might take a year or two. Indeed, indeed. So let's take a step back and look at the the SEC race. Um, obviously, Tennessee will have something to say. Kentucky will have something to say. Auburn was a team that I probably uh overlooked a bit from non-conference play it was just kind of like eh you know they they didn't play any of the t- well i guess they played Baylor the first game of the season but um uh you know they lost at app state you know some of the teams like USC that maybe i thought they were going to be better beforehand they're not that good you know now as it played out so i wasn't sure what they were until actually seeing them in action once they got a few games in the SEC, so I think they're they're going to be one of the teams at the top, and and Alabama, which the metrics seem to love them. I kind of wrote them off too after they lost to Purdue, Creighton, and, and Arizona, and uh, and even Clemson at home during a stretch, but they seem to have righted the ship. So all of these teams vying for the top. Who do you kind of see as the last team standing when it's all done? I mean. Uh, I've gone, I think I've said over the course of the last three weeks, every single one of those four teams, like when it comes to talking about who, who I think can win the SEC, uh, this might just end up being a situation where we look up uh, in the first week of March and like three, three of those teams are 15 and five. Uh, I'm not ready to trust Kentucky defensively yet fully. Um, I'm not ready to trust Auburn defensively yet fully. I think I'm sorry, Alabama defensively yet fully. I think Auburn, um, needs to prove that they can beat really good teams, especially on the road. But like, if you look at what they've done so far this year, they have four losses. They're all away from home, and they are all by uh, one or two possessions, right? Like the Mississippi State game was a game where one shot goes down with a minute left, and they have a chance to win that thing. The Alabama win was one where they hit some free throws on the stretch to win by four. You know, the Appalachian State win. I know that that's the, a team from the Sun Belt, but you know, App State is eight and one conference that James Madison plays in. They just beat James Madison on the road over the weekend. So that's a good basketball team. And Baylor's Baylor. So um, I still think that Auburn is there. I kind of need to see it happen. Like I'm, It's one of those ones where you, you believe it, but you also need to see it before you go all in. So that kind of just leaves you with Tennessee, right? Like Tennessee's really good defensively. But a guy that makes them a, like a, a complete difference maker offensively. And um, I think I'm going to sucker myself into buying into the ball again just to have my heart broken and look like a fool. <laughs> like this is what happens every year with Tennessee. Like I, they, uh, I'm like, nah, I'm not in. And then they prove me wrong and they make a run. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm actually in. Like let, let's go all the way in on Tennessee. And then 
it ends up blowing up in like the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So um, I don't know. All four are awesome. Like I think that's, to me, honestly, I think that's the the most entertaining SEC title race because I think the, all four of those can win it, but it's only those four that can win it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'll let you go on this. I wanted to get your view nationally. Um, if you had to pick a final four right now, what would your teams be? Um, I think Purdue and UConn are the two that you have to lock in no matter what happens, right? Um, and I would make the argument that North Carolina is the third best team uh, in college basketball. But I'll throw a couple of uh, I'll throw a couple sleepers at you just to kind of. It's more fun that way. Like, if you get the top four teams in college basketball to make the final four, like, what are we doing? Why am I even sitting <laughs> yeah. here in this conversation? Right. Um, so, one of the teams that I really like that I feel like can get hot and find a way to make a run is New Mexico. Um, I think that oh. they are better defensively than people realize. They have three really, really, really good little guards. I got a freshman named JT Toppin who uh, has surprised a lot of people. Um, so, I'm in on them. Uh, I think that. I I've kind of reached the point where I think Wisconsin is is significantly better than Illinois is right now. They added this kid AJ Store, who is kind of like done to Wisconsin what Dalton Connect has done to Tennessee. No one's really talking about it. And the last one that I'm going to give you, CL, is Marquette. The reason why I say Marquette can still make a Final Four is if you go back and you look through the last uh, about 25 year data for teams that have won national championships, they've all been top 25 in adjusted offensive efficiency on Kempom and top 40 in adjusted defensive efficiency on Kempom, except for one team. And that was 2014 UConn. And that 2014 UConn team had an All-American point guard in Shabbat Napier and all, uh, an all-conference sidekick in Ryan Boatwright, and they were a top 10 defense in college basketball. Marquette has an All-American point guard in, in Tyler Kolek has an all-American sidekick in Cam or an all-league sidekick in Cam Jones, and they are a top 12 defense in college basketball as of today. It sounds crazy, I know, but I can see it happening. No, I'm 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 with you with the point guard. I'm 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 that's where I put my chips in March. Uh but one team you didn't say, and I know this is nitpicking, but Houston. What do you see as Houston? Because I, I feel like uh I feel like they have that, but if if I was picking mine right now, I'd have them in it. Yeah, I, I mean, look, they are they are elite defensively. Um, I like their guards. I don't necessarily love their guards, and I think that they're kind of one of those teams where they rely on two to three dudes to get hot. And if those two to three dudes aren't hot, then it's the offense ends up being like, all right. We'll throw it at the bucket and hope that we can get a get a a second, um, you know, a second chance opportunity, but. Uh, that's kind of what I think of them. And I'm going to, I'm going to just nip it in the bud and say, I didn't mention Kentucky because obviously they are in the conversation. And this is a Kentucky podcast. So there you go. We don't have to yell that. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Hey man, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, look forward to seeing you on Saturday and, uh, hopefully I'll get you back later in March when, uh, when things heat up. Yeah, for sure, man. Good catching up. CL. Okay, take care, Rob. That'll do it for another episode of the CL Brown Show. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard and feel so inclined, click on those subscribe buttons and leave a positive review. Positive only, though, because we need more love in this world, right? If not, just sit back, relax. There'll be another episode that drops next Wednesday. Until then, check out thecouriorjournal.com for the latest reporting 
in the sports that matter to you in Louisville. Thanks for tuning in. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.